Hey everyone, welcome uh, once again to the next Genesis podcast. I've completely lost track of which one we're on, but then again, I think I lost track after number three, so no surprise there. Uh, As always, I am Scott. And this is Brad, and this is the 15th study. And as always, this is not about us. Right, we're back, and uh, fifteen, you say? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. And just real quick, let me just say this. I will let you say this. I this. <laughs> I, I I love this, Scott. Uh, fifteen. This will be the fifteenth podcast. And in every single one of them, I'm not putting of Genesis, the, not the 15th total podcast. Yeah, we're almost up to 50 hours, yeah. 50 podcasts uh, in the Not About Us series or whatever. Brand? Are we a brand? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> but but uh, you have, I'm not trying to put more pressure on you to keep doing this because it's not really you. It's not about you at all. Not about it, me at it's all. It's the spirit, the things that we that you have unpacked uh, for me, and selfishly, I'm going to say this, I'm being very selfish right now, has been amazing. It's been uplifting. It's been powerful. You make me think. The, the Spirit has shown me stuff through this study that I will be forever grateful for. And I really, really do pray and hope that that is getting out to the world, that God is using this, to touch anybody. I don't want to be selfish about it. I love it, and I'm hoping that other people are loving it too. Anyway, that's my peace of mind. Well, actually, that is very good lead into the prayer. So if you could just uh, let the Holy Spirit know uh, what she has been doing in your life through this and, and invite her in and Yahweh God to come in once again and, and lead this one. Yahweh Yahweh, Yeshua, Spirit, all of you. It's amazing. Just, you blow my mind. I know you blow Scott's mind. I'm sure there are some of our listeners that you're blowing their minds right now. And there are people who are not listeners of this that you're blowing their mind because you are so awesome. And beyond anything that we can imagine or comprehend, the feelings that I have for you, they're impossible to comprehend and understand. They're powerful. And I selfishly want some of that tonight for myself, but I also want that for Scott, and I want that for our listeners. So it cannot be about us. Will you be here with us? Will you help us find the truths that you want us to find? Let us just be the mic, but let your truth and your voice come through. We love you. We give you what honor and glory that we can. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. All right. Let us jump in. We are in Genesis 3 verse 11 uh, is where we're starting. And I got to say, I was telling Brad earlier, this is another one of those podcasts. I don't know how long it's going to go because as I was studying, I felt like this was going to be one of my shorter ones. Uh, and, and the more I meditated on it, the more I, I just prayed and dug in and, and, and got in and started researching where this was coming from. It just kept blowing up and blowing up and blowing up. And finally, I was like, I've got to stop. I'm, I'm getting way too much here. So, and I, I say that because uh, along with Brad, I just thank you, God. Thank you. Because there is so much more here than we're going to talk about today. As we've said before, there is so much more depth than what we are going to cover here today. Uh, even if I stay on this verse for the next year, there's more. Uh, so so it, it's just when this kind of thing happens to me, it's just that 
that reminder uh, of just how awesome and amazing you are, God, and how much more there is that I'm not seeing. So anyway, we spoke in the last podcast about how when God says in Genesis 3-9, he calls out to man and says, where are you? We mentioned about how when the omniscient, all-knowing God asks a question, it's not because he's seeking information. The question is always for our sake. God is not legitimately asking. We have, we have to remember that. Sometimes we have a tendency as people to say, why is God asking that question? You know, what didn't he know? Is he, you know, is he honestly confused? Because we tend to limit God to our, our own perspectives. We have to keep in mind, God asks a question. He's not seeking information. He knows the answer. The, an- the question is for our sakes. And here he asks two questions. Genesis 3.11. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded you that you should not eat? And I know, especially as a kid, I always got this picture in mind like God stepping in and kind of going, hey, where, where'd everybody go? And oh, did you eat of the tree? Like God was just, he was kind of caught by surprise by this. Oh always, no, did you actually do it? I always see it as dad walking in and finding that his toddler has just used crayons on the wall. All the evidence is right there. And the child tries to put the crayon behind his back and say, no. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so here, but he asks two questions. And again, I'm going to repeat, the omniscient, all-knowing God has never asked a question to which he does not know the answer. The question is for our sakes. So when God asks a question, we need to ask, what's the reason for the question? What, what is it that we need to understand from this? So what's the reason for this question? Who told you you were naked? And as well as, have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded you that you should not eat? Is this to make us acknowledge the truth of what we've done rather than deny that there's a problem? Is, is he asking us so we can, because we have to accurately answer that question before we can successfully move on. We have to know where we are in order to get to the right place from here on out. Who told you that you were naked? We can go on to say, because it wasn't me. As if that's God asking this question. So that's the point. Who told you you were naked? The emphasis is on the who here. Look, they were naked before they ate of the fruit, but God never told them they were. He knew they were, he knew they were naked. So what's the difference? What happened here? Who told you that you were naked? Now, that's a question for each and every one of us. Who is it that's telling you these things? If it's not coming from God, then where is it coming from? We have to question the source. We need to understand. The very first question God asked them is, where are you? The second one is, who gave you this piece of information? He wants us to understand where our source is. Is our source God? Are we receiving from God? Or is our source coming from another location? And I don't care where that location is. If it's not from God, why are we trusting it? And when I say not from God, does that mean you can't listen to any other person for the rest of your life? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, is the person speaking to you, is whatever information you're getting from the world, is its source God? Who told you you were naked? The next, the next question, have you eaten of the tree? And then underline this next part, whereof I commanded you that you should not eat. I love this right here because God is heading off their next statements. He knows what they're about to say, and he basically answers right here and right now why their next statements don't matter. God made the commandment. I said you should not eat of the tree 
of the knowledge of good and evil, no matter what their reasoning is, they disobeyed him. And we're going to get into that in more detail as we come up, as we get into their answers here. But that's something to remember. They had no right to say, oh, this happened, that makes it okay. God is saying right here, and he's saying to each and every one of us, what have I commanded you? Well, well, God, this person said, no, 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 no. What did I tell you? Well, God, uh, social media says that, no, 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 no. What did I tell you? Well, God, the TV said, no, no, no. What did I tell you? So we have to understand that too. Whenever we process our information, whenever we are making a decision as to what to follow, who gave us the information and who are we following? Because when we stand before God in heaven, we're not going to be allowed to say, well, this person told me it was okay. God is going to say, what did I tell you? And so that's why right now we should be asking ourselves, where are we? Who told us the information that we have now? What is our source of information? And what did God tell us to do? Before I move on to Genesis 3, 12, anything you want to throw in about that, Brad? Just hitting me on an emotional level. I'm self-convicting right now. How many times have I uh, let someone else's uh, voice get in my head mm-hmm. and I didn't listen to what God asked me to do? Just self-convicting. And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And Yahweh Elohim said unto the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Excuse? Reason? Or both? Both Adam and Eve essentially give the same answer. It was their fault. They did this. When Eve eats the fruit, we see the process and the reasoning that got her there. We saw that. We saw the serpent speaking to Eve. We saw the conversation. We saw the reasoning that got her to the point where she said, all right, I'll try this. When Adam eats the fruit, he just does. Now, we know Adam was there, but Adam was never a part of the conversation It doesn't go into why. Is this why? And we've mentioned this before. Is this the reason why? Did uh, Adam says, the woman that you gave me. Did he trust the woman to be his helpmeet, to be his protector? Sorry, I think I shut off my microphone there, so I'm going to repeat myself here. Uh, Did Adam trust Eve to be his protector because God gave her for that purpose. Did he just follow along with whatever she said? Now, again, I go back. God headed that off by saying, have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded you that you should not eat? Regardless of where we get our information from, guys, every one of us, every one of us listening, uh, including me, I'm listening to myself right now, We need to question who gave us this information. When God says you do this, when God says you do not do this, and we listen to anyone else, whether we think they're of God or not, the fact is it's irrelevant what they say if it contradicts God. God is asking us, what have I commanded you to do? And here... Adam and Eve both give the answer. They told me it was okay. And again, God has already answered that before they even asked it. He said, no, 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 no. What did I tell you to do? But here, he says, the woman that you gave me. Is this a picture of religious leaders who are hurting people, who trust them to bring them God's word, and these people are actually giving others their own selfish interests? Because Eve was Adam's helpmeet. God provided her for Adam. 
Did Adam just implicitly trust her to not provide him with something that would harm him? When Eve brought the fruit to Adam, did he reason? It must be okay for a reason he didn't understand because God gave him the woman to help him out. God still held Adam accountable because he had directly told Adam, you do not ever do this, and Adam did it. So Adam was still responsible. Adam didn't have the right to reason, well, there must be an acceptable way to ignore God's command in some instances. Again, God's question to Eve is for our benefit. What is this you have done? So guys, this is for all of us too because we're all Eve at some point in our lives. We have all told somebody something that was not God, that we presented as God. Whether we're conscious of it or not, we have gone to people, children, friends, uh, any, anyone in our lives, we have said, this is okay. God says it's all right. And it's not. God has not said that. And we've all misled some people in the way Eve has. So this question is for our sakes. What is this that you have done? Guys, let that be convicting to you. Let that convict your spirit the way it's convicting me. Well, and how many times has the voice that we listen to been our own voice? Yes. And it's one of the reasons why I, Brad and I overemphasize at times, this is not about us. And we've repeated before, guys, if something is coming through these airwaves that is not from the Holy Spirit, please put it to death. Kill it in your own hearts and minds. We, this, the, the very fact that I'm speaking on this microphone right now, and the very fact that we have this podcast makes me more accountable. Uh, and, I've, and I've said this to Brad before, I, I've written several plays uh, that are my own opinion, that are from my own heart. Uh, it's plays talking about people going through different stuff and seeking God in different ways. But I wrote one that has directly, it's called uh, Conversation with God, and it's the voice of God. And guys, never before have I just gone to the Scripture so much and just blatantly taken from scripture as much as possible because I was really convicted writing that play. I said, I am basically saying this is what God says. And I know that I'm imperfect and I didn't get it perfectly right for that reason. But, but in all of my plays, but especially in that one, oh my goodness, I had to focus on, if I say God says this, I do not want to get to heaven one day, stand before him, and, and he looks at me and goes, excuse me? What, what, what was that that you said that I say? What, what, what are you doing telling people that that's from me? And, and I have that same feeling as I do these uh, podcasts and, and these Bible studies. Now, and I try to admit to you and I try to express that I'm imperfect. These are just my thoughts and feelings coming out, but there is a conviction on me. And as I hope there is with each and every one of you, every time you express the gospel to people, every time you do your own Bible study, every time you share with people, am I really giving them God? And I, I, I'm trying my best to do that on these. But this is really speaking to me. What is this that you have done? An easy way to maybe sum that up, uh, Scott, I think you'll appreciate this. In Spider-Man, there's a phrase that with great power <laughs> must come great responsibility. And so I can't think of anything that has more power than the word of God. And so, yeah, we should probably be pretty responsible with mm -hmm. that. Um, Definitely. But no, I'm in total agreement with you. If we say absolutely anything that does not sound like truth, it needs to be destroyed. It needs to be put to a quick death and forgotten. Mm -hmm. But on the other side, if we do say something, yeah, if there is something that 
is from the Spirit. Um, I will often say, plant that in your heart and, mm-hmm. and let it blossom. Now, on the flip side of this story, too, Adam says, hey, the woman you gave me, she told me. But Eve says, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. So we have two pictures here. One, I believe, is a picture of someone who's honestly believing that they're of God and giving us false information. But the other is from someone who knows better. I believe the serpent was, was more of a picture of someone who's intentionally misleading them. So Eve says, it's his fault. Serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Is this whiny? Is this, is this an excuse, like I said? I used to think that, but now I'm seeing it more of an honest admission. You know, she's saying, I was tricked. I was tricked. I, I believed him. But again, I go back to two people deceived them, essentially. The serpent deceived Eve. Eve deceived Adam. I believe Eve, again, is a picture of someone who is honestly, they honestly think they're in the right. They honestly think they figured this out. Even though they've stepped away from God, they've reasoned it through that this is actually okay. And this is, this is not a problem. This is not a sin, what we're doing. They think they're in the right. The first person, the serpent, that to me is a picture of someone who, a scam artist, someone who knows they're not in the right, someone trying to deceive you, wanting to hurt you. Both Adam and Eve's responses involved, it was them, they did it. I wanna tell you a story real quick. I was in Portland, Portland, Oregon area. I was working at a video store and there was a friend there who would just hang out uh, from time to time. And he was the brother of uh, a girl that worked with me, which is one of the reasons he hung out there uh, frequently. And I'm behind the counter and he's in front of the counter talking to me and a woman came in who was just drop dead gorgeous. She was absolutely smoking hot. She was, I have no other way to say it. Uh, She had shorts on and a t-shirt and she was just beautiful. Well, she walked by and he made a comment that was not repeatable here on this kind of show. Uh, You know, basically talking about what he'd like to do to her and and I didn't respond. Now, this is like 20 years ago. I was a much younger Christian, uh, wasn't as secure or as knowledgeable in my faith. I, I was like, I knew I didn't want to go there, but at the same time, I didn't want to offend him. I didn't want to attack him and say, hey, that's wrong, knock it off. But he was obviously in the wrong. Uh, we've talked to, oh, there goes the dog again. <laughs> All right, so I'm jumping on in. For those of you who aren't sure, uh, the dog started barking, and I'm sure Brad's going to kind of edit some of this out. That so, has to be edited a little bit. Yeah. That was pretty bad. <laughs> but uh, I'll jump back into where I was, and uh, this beautiful woman walks in, and this my friend of mine makes just a, a vulgar comment about what he'd like to do to her. And Jesus said, you know, look, uh, the law of Moses says, you know, you can't go have sex with someone who's not your wife. I'm telling you, if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed the sin of adultery. So according to the words of Jesus, he just committed the sin of adultery. But then he looks at me. I, I don't know if he knew what he'd done or he just he wants me involved, kind of the same way Eve ate of the fruit, wanted Adam to join in. But he, you know, what do you think? You know, come on, you, you say the same things. And like I said, I didn't want to offend him. I didn't want to attack him. At the same time, I didn't want to go along with it. So I kind of gave him a wishy-washy uh, answer like, uh, well, I'm, I'm married, so I'm not allowed to look anymore. Just kind of almost trying to be silly with it. Well, he took that as very offensive and he got upset and he turns on me and he says, hey, my daddy is a pastor and he says that I can look as long as I don't touch. And all I could think of was his daddy, who is a pastor, just negated the word of God in his life because he stood up and gave his son instructions on the word of God that simply are not true. 
and he has changed the word of God in his son's life to allow his son to be a sinner uh, and be okay in his own eyes. And this is what's going on here. Adam and Eve are both held accountable even though someone else deceived them. Every one of us are in this position. You are responsible to God and God alone for your obedience and your disobedience. If anyone else leads you contrary to the word of God, you have the ability to say no. That's not of God and walk away. You have the ability to go to the word of God and say, what do you say, God? I'm going to obey you. Now, that doesn't mean that as we're seeking God, we, we're, not, we're always going to be perfect and right in our study, and we don't need help from legitimate sources, but we have to weigh everything against what the Holy Spirit teaches us according to what the Word of God that we've been given, this tool, this wonderful tool that we've been given, has already expressed to us. Sometimes we read it and we get the wrong idea and we need to be corrected. That's one thing. But when we flat out stand against the Word of God because our daddy, who is a pastor, teaches us that it's okay not to obey God in circumstances such as this, that's what Eve and that's what the serpent are doing in this story. Makes me wonder why that's, there's an importance on two witnesses. Should you just get all of your information from one source or should you test two sources yeah. and see if it's uh, really truth? Because you're right. There, there are times where um, even where I need, I, I, I look at what God has written in Scripture and I still go, God, I still don't understand. I'm, I'm looking right at this and I'm reading. I'm trying to figure it out. I still don't understand. So you do. You go seek out the wisdom of those that you trust. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this case of your friend, he sought out the wisdom of one person. But maybe if he had sought out the wisdom of two people, they would have contradicted and he would now would have realized, oh, I've got a problem. Mm-hmm. Could be. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Just, just oh, my absolutely. candid thoughts. I, I think there's a lot to that. Um, you know, the parable or the story about um, if someone offends, you go to him on your own. If they refuse to repent, then you take one other person with you. You go to them before they go to the judge. Yeah. Specifically. And then and then you take one other person. If they still won't repent, you take them before the entire congregation. I think one of the reasons for this is because you who think they've done wrong might be wrong. Right. Uh, so someone does something, you go to them and try to convict them and try to change them. But if they won't change, it's possible they're in the right. You're the one who's messed up. And if you go get someone else to come with you, and then you try to bring it before the entire congregation, it's very possible you're going to find out you're wrong. Because people might go, no, no, I'm not coming with you. No, that person's right. That's just one reason why I think God set that up. Uh, another is you know, the person is legitimately wrong and and you're trying to do this out of love. You're trying to go to him by yourself. You're not trying to bring it before anyone else. If they refuse, then bring one other person. You're trying, this is, this is trying to correct them in love, not just shame them and, and just throw them before the wolves right off the bat. You're trying to fix them as easily and as, and as quietly as possible essentially. Well, and if the situation is one where you're hot-headed, having someone to be a mediator between the two might be a good thing, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, that's kind of getting off the subject here. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to move on to Genesis three fourteen through 15. Uh, and Yahweh Elohim said unto the serpent, Behold, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because you have done this, Cursed are you from among all cattle and from among all beasts of the field. Upon your belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. They shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise their heel. Now, there's 
a physical picture here that we're going to get into and a spiritual picture that we're going to get into. Again, the physical picture being an example of the spiritual. We've talked about that many times before. Uh, If you've listened to all of these podcasts of mine, you're probably sick of me saying that, but I'm going to keep saying it. Too bad. Uh, So I have been taught that this is a prophetic vision of Jesus, the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent, Satan. I have no reason to deny that. I am not about, I'm not about to stand up here on this microphone and say, and that's wrong and it's messed up. No, I totally believe that. I I do uh, agree with that analysis of this verse here. Jesus is going to crush the head of the serpent, but there's a flip side to that prophecy. We always focus on Jesus will crush the head of the serpent. This is, gives us ultimate victory. And this is prophecy that Jesus will destroy evil and sin. And But Satan is also given the power to bruise the heel of Jesus. They shall bruise your, they shall bruise your head and you shall bruise their heel. Jesus has the ultimate victory in the death of Satan and evil. But Satan does harm Jesus. He does this by hurting the body. He did it literally when Jesus came to earth as a man in the physical sense, but he does it to us, his body, every day. The damage Jesus does to Satan is fatal and completely victorious, but Satan still has the power to hurt him by hurting us. Satan bruises our heel. What does that mean? The foot is the means by which we move, we travel, we go anywhere. One of the pieces of spiritual armor in Ephesians is peace, which is to be placed upon our feet. This tells me that Satan has been given power over our peace. Or at least it's saying that that's where he's going to attack us and try to tear us down and try to wound us. As I ponder this, it makes me wonder if that's the only way or at least the highest way that he is allowed to attack God himself. Now think about this for a second. The fruits of the Spirit begin, love, joy, peace, in that order. And there's more, but we're going to stop there for right now. Now, I have been taught that they are in order for a reason, and I believe it. Love is the most important. Love leads to joy. You can't have joy if you don't have love. Joy leads to peace. You can't have peace if you don't have both love and joy and so on and so on and so on. It's a a fascinating study. Go read the fruits of the Spirit and read them in that way and think, if I'm missing something, if if I'm really lacking in one of these, do I have the one before it? Uh, Take them in order. Uh, And and that's a separate study. I'm not going to go on with that any further right here, but it is fascinating for you to check it out. So let's go back. Love comes first. God is love. To actually cause damage to love, Satan would be causing damage to God himself. That is exactly what Satan attempted with his first overthrow attempt. It failed. It's still his ultimate goal, but at present he proved he is simply incapable of attaining this. Well, then comes joy. How can you take the joy of a being that is the end and the beginning? God's joy or God as joy cannot waver because God doesn't just see the end result. He is the end result. God doesn't just know he eventually will win. God knows he has won. God's there at the end of all time. God is victorious. It's finished. It's done to him. How can Satan take his joy uh, that is already finished? Satan can try to lessen God's joy by trying to get us to walk away and reject him, which does cause him sorrow, but Satan himself cannot take God's joy. 
That's our way of hurting God. We can hurt God's joy by stepping away ourselves. But what Satan can do is affect God's peace. Right now, God is not resting. God is engaged in conflict. Now, God has ultimate authority and victory, and he's not worried for his kingdom, but the fact is, he is working. He's not at rest. He is not at complete peace. Again, this is not to say God doesn't have complete peace that, uh, in the end result, but the fact is, God right now has a contender to work against. Satan's actions are making God contend against him. There is struggle. There is chaos. There is an enemy to be dealt with right now. By saying Satan attacks God's peace is not saying God is concerned in any way with the final results, but it is simply acknowledging that he does have an enemy to take into account and must deal with it. Just as the physical serpent bites us on our heel, Satan is a painful annoyance to God that must be dealt with by crushing the biting head on the ground permanently. If the serpent didn't exist to bite him on the heel, he could be at rest. That will happen eventually. There will be perfect rest and perfect peace when the head of the serpent is finally crushed permanently. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now something else to consider here. Now I'm going to go back. We've kind of been focusing on the spiritual aspect of this. And anything you want to throw into that? Uh, Sorry, I've been kind of rambling uh, uh, just on and on about this aspect, not really giving you a chance to jump in. Is there anything you want to say before I move on, Brad? I've been enjoying it. Okay. I, I, I want to hear this. This is uh, this is what I was talking about earlier from the selfish uh, perspective of mine. Stuff I, I've never considered or heard before, and uh, it sounds like truth to me. I want to know more about it, and, and, and I, I just, yeah, what can I say other than I totally agree? Satan attacks peace. He attacks my peace. I know it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, especially especially when you think everything's going great and wonderful, and then suddenly your peace gets, you know, your your, your peace and your calm gets interrupted, and now you've got a mountain in front of you to figure out. Mm-hmm. And even if you feel like everything's wonderful and you're enjoying God, the fact is we still, at this period of our lives on the earth, we have to continue working. Mm-hmm. We can't just sit down and relax and say, that's it. No more harvesting, no more reaping, no more sowing, no more effort. I'm just going to lay here and enjoy being with God for the rest of time. We have our Sabbaths. We have our moments where we can say, world, get lost. It's just me and God right now. But for from here on out, we don't have that. We have, even if we're enjoying the journey, even if we're loving it and we're saying we have total peace, we have effort we have to put into. Yeah. We're not at complete rest and relaxation. We have a strenuous activity that we have to participate in. Like I said, even if we're enjoying it, that's not the question here or the statement. We are working. We're not yet at full peace. Does that make sense? That makes sense. But another thing here that I want to point out is the very physical aspect of this. And Brad uh, mentioned this in the conversation we had uh, a few weeks ago. God tells the serpent that because he did this thing, he is now going to travel on his belly. He makes the statement to the serpent. This tells me, this statement in and of itself tells me the physical serpent didn't always do this. Yeah, so the reason that that popped in my head is because there was some guy trying to say that this doesn't make any sense. This is inaccurate. Uh, why would God punish the serpent by making it do something it already did? Mm-hmm. And, and he didn't. And what he's, what this person is not seeing is we don't, that the serpent at this point didn't <laughs> slither mm-hmm. on the ground and eat the dust of the earth. And uh, I, I'm going to point out just a couple articles here. Now, they are very heavily 
uh, evolutionary in tone. Be aware of that. However, an October 21st, 2016 article in LiveScience.com. I think I read this. An October 2016 article in NationalGeographic.com. A November 20th, 2019 article in NewYorkTimes.com. And I found many, many more. I'll just point those out. You can Google them. You can check them out. Uh, They found evidence that the serpent used to have legs. There is much more to the spiritual picture I've never connected before. It's fascinating in the physical sense that the serpent used to work on legs, but the spiritual picture that I've never connected before made me think, uh, just treat that for a second. Let's stop for a second. I'm sorry. I'm going to go back. The physical serpent had legs, and God punished it and said, nope, because of what you've done, You're going to crawl on your belly. You're going to eat the dust of the earth. You're going to be punished for this. Now, we mentioned this before, but the serpent is punished here. The serpent, the physical serpent is punished. That tells me that just like Adam and Eve, the serpent itself had a willing part in this. He he might have been deceived. He might have been used by Satan in some way, but the serpent had... The serpent is being punished. If the serpent had no choice in the matter, that is unfair. So this tells me the serpent had a willing participation in this. Okay, so that's just a physical picture of the uh, the serpent losing its legs and and the serpent being directly involved with this and and having the ability to disobey or obey God in all of this. But... There is a greater spiritual picture in this that I had never connected before. And this is a picture of Satan's punishment for his rebellion and his actions against God. Because Satan acted as he did his legs. Or think about it this way, his ability to traverse the cosmos as a spiritual being was taken away. I, this is a picture of Satan being dropped to earth. Uh, This is a picture of Satan being imprisoned on this earth to crawl and to eat dust all the days of his life instead of travel in the manner in which he was formerly used to. But is it, and I'm just putting this out there, is it even more than just a picture of Satan's general rebellion? Because this verse seems to focus on this particular action of seducing Eve with the fruit. So was there something more that happened to Satan at this very moment than just being cast out of heaven and dropped to earth? Did Satan have greater spiritual ability before this, even after his rebellion? I don't know. I'm kind of throwing it out there because these verses also say that God told the serpent he would, quote, put enmity between you and the woman, unquote. So there was not enmity between the serpent and the woman or between Satan and mankind before this moment. God put it there. And I looked up that that word put, and it's actually in Strong's Concordance, it's the whole phrase, I will put, coincides with Strong's Concordance number 7896, sheath. And it means to place in a very wide application, to apply, to appoint, to bring, to make, to mark, to put. But so that it's, it's pretty obvious. It means to put, but the point is it's an active word. It doesn't just happen. God actively put enmity between man and Satan. It wasn't there before that. Because when Satan, Satan rebelled against God, but between Satan and mankind, represented by the woman, there was no enmity before this point. Satan had sinned against God, but prior to this, he had not gone after man. At least if he had, we don't have record of it and he failed. 
that word put, that is active. It is a conscious act. God didn't simply allow it. He placed it there. And the word picture here, shin, yod, tav, a couple possible interpretations I came up with was because this, the word put, uh, I will put, involves a lot more than just this story. It's, it's pl God placing a number of things in the Bible. So there's, there's one thing that I came up with is the work or deed of El Shaddai will join us together with him. That had much more to do with this story. But uh, something else I came up with, especially involving this, to destroy a finished work on the cross. And that made me think of this in particular. God will put enmity between Satan and mankind. And then Jesus had to come as mankind. And in fact, these verses talking about uh, Jesus prophetically crushing the head of the serpent. He will put enmity between them. Did this, God put it there yeah. to protect us? Yeah. He put it there to protect us because, so from what I understand of Satan, you know, he, he had what became our job. He was meant, he was this beautiful creature that was supposed to give glory and praise to God. And then we are created, and it's probably way more than just this, but let's simplify it to a human thing. He got jealous. Mm -hmm. Who are these guys? Are they going to try to steal my job? And that was what these caused... These pathetic creatures are my replacement? Right. And this is what caused all you know a lot of these problems and whatnot. But I guess what I'm saying here is, did we become his primary target? You said he wanted to... Uh, attack God's love. Well, God love God's love, but He loves us. So, did He think this might be a way to do it? Mm -hmm. And so, God put that there to create to create a separation between us to protect us. Yeah, I think before this, we were protected in the garden. There was no enmity between us and the serpent because we had the full hedge of protection around us. There was there was simply no need for enmity. Uh, uh, Satan couldn't reach us. Once Satan actually reached us and connected, uh, I think you're right. God put enmity there. If you want to think of it this way, so we weren't just sitting ducks. So Satan had come after us and he had won. He had, he had achieved a victory. So when God put enmity there, he basically said, you're getting old enough to fight this battle. Uh, again, we go back to uh, say, uh, mankind was an infant in the beginning. Uh, he wanted us to grow up. Part of growing up is going to war, uh, becoming a soldier. He wants us to work. He wants us to be his lover, his bride. He wants us to be his soldier. And I think at this point, he's putting enmity between them. Like you said, part of it is for our grace it's grace for our well-being. He wants to train us. He wants us to grow. And we need an adversary. We need a conflict in order to grow. Uh, you have to, you want to build, you want to bulk up. You have to lift weights. You need something to oppose. Uh, so I think that's part of it. But also I think it's the simple fact that Satan was coming after us at this point. And so he put that enmity there. Because we, uh, because it was also prophetic to Jesus coming and ultimately having the victory and destroying it, uh, destroying Satan. Uh, in this very verse, say, uh, the, the seed of man will crush the serpent's head. And I think in the word picture there, uh, I will put, there's the, this picture to destroy a finished work, the finished work of Satan. Satan completed his work by making a sin. He had, he had won. Jesus destroyed Satan's finished work on the cross. So about what's our time looking at right now? About 50 minutes. That's, I think that's a good spot to stop then because like I said at the beginning, I thought this was going to be really short. The more I kept getting into it, the more I kept getting into it, 
I really started to pull more and more out. And the next verse, it really kind of exploded. Hmm. Uh, Genesis 3, 16. Uh, as you can see, I usually pull the Hebrew uh, interpretation and the word picture out of a lot more. I didn't, I just wasn't feeling it and I wasn't pulling it out a lot up until this point. The only one is that one. The next verse, I think I grab about six or seven words. It just kind of exploded. Everything spoke to me. Uh, so I think this is a good spot to stop because if I go on, we're going to be here for another 50 minutes. <laughs> and uh, so I think I'll, I'll start with Genesis 3.16 next time. Sounds good. Hope you've uh, enjoyed listening. Do you have anything else you'd like to say, Brad, as we wrap this up? Feels like you want to, but you're not sure how to express it. Does that sound right? I'm just self-convicting right now. <laughs> when, 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 when something like that comes up and I say that's self-convicting, what I'm really saying is, the, yes, it's, it's self-convicting. I, I am guilty of this. Sometimes when I'm saying that, I'm realizing for the first time that I'm guilty of that said action or act. Mm-hmm. So tonight, um, when it is just God and I, those are the those are the kind of things that uh, that come up. Uh, my conversations with God are just like my podcast. They're emotional. They're, you know, they're yeah. They're God. I can't believe it. Here's another thing that you have forgiven me for, and I just don't deserve it. And at the same time, it can also be God. You're amazing and glorious, and I love you. And and you know, it is just one extreme to the other. So when I say, if I ever say this is self-convicting, it might possibly be the first time I've literally thought of that as something self-convicting. And that is a conversation that I will have uh, with God. I hope that that little comment that I just made is inspiring to others to realize that um, I don't now immediately go to, I won't say I've never done this, but I don't immediately go to, oh, my salvation's gone. I did this. No. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's a, just an acknowledgement. It's a it's a it's another reason. It's an acknowledgement that I am I am low. I am insignificant. I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve the gift of eternal life. I don't deserve for God to love me. I don't deserve any of this. But on the flip side of that, He's given it to me, free of charge with a pretty bow and how awesome and amazing and glorious is he for that that's you too you don't deserve it you mm-hmm. don't deserve it right. but you're going to get it as yeah. long as you you know have a relationship with god but you're going to get it so just remember that you don't deserve it and when something like this comes up use it as a as a, what do I want to say? An example, use it as a trophy, use it as a whatever. I do this terrible, pathetic thing, but I'm still saved. I still have a God that loves me and wants me. Yes. But uh, anyway, we'll go ahead and wrap it up there. And as always, I'm Scott. And I'm Brad. And this is not about us. <laughs>